It's Sunday, March 6, 2022, and you're listening to episode 591 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 40 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. I'm Brodor. So I apologize if there's like a well, you guys may have noticed on like a lot of our shows, there's kind of like this clicking noise in the background. What you're hearing is my dog chewing on a bone that he only chews on when we're recording. Like if I'm sitting here working or doing whatever and the level of background noise doesn't matter, he just sits there and watches outside and does nothing in particular. But whenever we start recording and the sound quality matters... He has a bone that he keeps up here in the recording studio that he whips out every time we sit down. So if you're wondering what that noise is, that's what it is. And if I took the bone away, he'd just get high maintenance and whining. It'd be even worse. So we're just going to let that go. It's about dominance, Dan. It's about doing what you're told. He wants everyone, including the audience, to understand he is the center of attention. Yeah, he's the big boss dog, and we are all just his bitches. So, all right, before we get into the main topic, Brodor, you want to talk about a video game for a little bit? Well, no, I've been lusting. One one of my great life's regrets is selling off my L5R Legend of the Five Rings first edition stuff. Okay, I think I still have mine, so. I don't, but I'm replaying Ghost of Tsuchima. And the thing is, is that it's better the second time because I'm playing it on a higher difficulty and I'm playing with the new game plus. So you start over with all your shit from the first time through. You know, that's what new game plus has been for like 20 years. I've never played new game plus, Dan. I'm not an adroit video game player. I've never heard of new game plus. Thank you, Wayne. So I played the first time through on easy, you know, kind of the just the story thing. But then my buddies tell me, well, you can play it again on New Game Plus and just increase the difficulty, but start the game over with all the cool shit that you collected the first time through. So now I'm going on these adventures, right, where the fights are significantly more challenging for me because the difference between easy and medium, it's big deal to me, right? It's a big freaking deal. I went from kicking ass to getting my ass kicked. However, it's amazing. One of the first things I did, they released this guy, Baku the Voiceless, and they have this new commerce called ghost flowers so you go there and he's got new charms for your sword and the first charm i buy was the charm of carnage all combat is bloodier holy (laughs) shit so not only are the fights more difficult and it's forcing me to be a better player but when i hit dudes oh there's so much blood it's so good so is it ever not raining in your world now no so it never rains in my well that's not true that's a lie (laughs) it rains in my world however i play one of my many different flute songs to change the weather in the world 
It's amazing. <laughs> so you are the force that is holding back the tide of your own evil. I am indeed. And so <laughs> now that I've got a lot of XP playing the game, I'm just exploring stuff for the sake of exploring and really taking my time to explore more of the world and really enjoy the game. And with that, I'm even more deeply enjoying my murder it's so good (laughs) sometimes it's a cascade of what is effectively a grenade sometimes you just run down a group of men with your horse sometimes you dive off of the horse and you just throw kunai or throwing knives into a huge crowd of dudes until they're all staggered and then you just chop them down until you've got enough kills built up for ghost mode and then you just mow dudes it's glorious there's so much delicious violence porn you know what this kind of reminds me of is two things the first i was thinking of is there was a game that man i wish they'd make a part three for it's called black and white and they made a black and white two where you played a god and you had followers like you had this village that because they take this sort of i don't know if it's gnostic or what it is but sort of view that the desire for God to exist basically creates an emergent life force or whatever. And so the desires of this village basically bring you into existence. And there's this giant monster that could be any number of animals. It could be a tiger, a lion, a turtle, all kinds of different stuff. And you could train it, like virtual pet sort of ways. So you reward it for certain things and it does them more. You punish it for certain things and it stops doing them. And it also watches what you do. Yeah, you can also do the same with your people. You can, like, backhand your people. Yeah, but you have to train everything up to a certain extent because your power only exists as far as the faith of your people extends it. So if you want to, like, fight another god or something that's outside of that border of faith, you have to have trained up and trust that your monster is going to go do it for you. And then the second one, they give you the ability to also raise armies from your people. But based on the type of God you are, because you can garner faith by answering their prayers and being nice or by terrifying them. So like if they pray for grain, you can make it rain on the grain fields or you can have a volcano erupt in the middle of town and either way they get the message. But based on which route you go, it's either light more often or nighttime more often. And, like, your hand goes from this neutral human hand to either this kind of angelic-looking, you know, glowing hand or into this shriveled, long-pointed fingernails demon hand. And so the world reacts to the kind of god that you are choosing to play. But the other thing that reminds me of is something that Chad was saying about our Blades game. This is based on Dishonored. He's talking about how there's these... Waves of rats. What's dishonored? Yeah, nobody knows. (laughs) But he's talking about how there's these like waves of rats in the sewer. No, there aren't. That happens as a result of you playing the game somewhat wrong. If you play the game the way you're supposed to with like stealth and kind of mercy, because you're trying to preserve this kingdom, I guess you don't have to, but that's kind of how I approach it. Because it's your kingdom or what else, not really. You're loyal to the person it belongs to. So you're trying to reclaim it in good faith. And some of these people are not evil. They're just misled. They just don't understand what the score is. And so I try to be really kind and spare them. And when you do that, the world changes. So in my world, you got out of the sewers. There's just like refugees and random shops and things like that 
Whereas the more people you kill and the more chaos you bring into the world, this plague spreads. And at the front of the plague are these plague rats that spread the plague. And so you go down in the sewers and there's these waves of rats coming at you, which in my game did not exist. Yeah, same thing if you if you're killing people, then everyone you meet on the street is going to try to kill you. If you are stealthing through the missions and not getting caught and knocking people out but letting them live, then you will have supporters out on the street yeah. and you can go and uh, have conversations. The entire world is different depending on how you play. And it is actually really horrible stealth mechanics. So it is really the second one difficult. Is not. Well, on the first the one. The first one, yes. Yeah. The first one has really clunky controls and kind of difficult mechanics. The stealth mode is a bit frustrating. I did it. I'm not sure why outside of the fact that I'm neurotic, but I did play through the first one on a relatively clean stealth playthrough. The second one, the controls, the mechanics, the gameplay, they are notably improved. And you can play a stealth mission or stealth mode and things don't go so far off the rails. Like in the first one, you may not kill somebody, but if someone on the map just so happens to die for reasons that have nothing to do with you. And I'm not talking being shady, like leaving a trap, walking away and be like, oh, that had nothing to do with me. No, I mean, literally, it had nothing to do with you. Like you're fighting one enemy with a sword. Another enemy chucks a grenade into your fight and kills his buddy while trying to kill you. They count that against you in the first game. It's wow. really annoying. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's lame. There was one really cool mission in there where you have all of these options. You have a character asks you to spare her relative, and you find out the relative is going to be poisoned by somebody. And you have the opportunity, you can switch the drinks, so the guy that's trying to do the poisoning gets the drink. You can do combat and just kill the guy that's trying to kill him. You can dump there's, the drinks and sneak yeah, away. You can dump the drinks, sneak away. And there's all of these different options you have, and any of them are completely valid for continuing the game. Yeah. It's just one of them will lead to nobody dying. One of them will lead to the guy that's trying to do the poisoning dying. Or you can let the relative die. Or you can kill them both. Yeah, or you can kill them both yourself. So, all right, let's get down to our topic. Wayne, you pitched one that at first I was like, there's no way we can make a show out of this. <laughs> But actually, we just started to, and I just now realized that our banter topic ties <laughs> into the main topic. Yeah. That was what do you completely mean, unplanned. Like, because it was raining in the game. Yeah. Because I did we're talking about all the... of this tremendous, efficient killing. Yeah. And then it started to rain coincidentally, so I played a flute. I'm just saying that if Wayne or I played yeah. the game, the world would be in a drought because it would have never <laughs> rained once. And... Yeah, so what we were talking about, or what Wayne pitched as a topic idea, I was kind of skeptical at first, but then as we started talking about it, no, maybe there are something to discuss here. That's weather or environmental issues in a role-playing game. Yeah, what got me thinking about it, this week we had a ice storm followed by a snowstorm, and so we were all stuck inside multiple days. And I'm looking out at all the snow, and I'm starting to think back through the games I've played, the only time weather has ever come up in any campaign I've played in has been with Dan as the GM running Skies of Glass games. And I started thinking about this, like, well, why don't I ever have weather? I don't ever talk about it raining, or I certainly have never brought in a hurricane or a tornado or a snowstorm that locks people away for days. 
it's just one of the areas I look at my work game worlds as like, they're lacking that little bit of realism for me. And so it got me thinking about, I was like, well, how do I start integrating weather into games? Right. Cause how do you use weather as a narrative tool? So in the previous example, Ghost of Tsushima, when you do underhanded, cowardly, you know, when you do dishonorable things, the weather changes in the game and you can affect that by playing your flute and trying to bring sunlight back. And if you behave more honorably, it is not going to rain, right? Or at least not rain as frequently. But in a role-playing game, for me, the weather is never important unless the weather is an important thing. So like when I was running Midnight, Midnight is a cold, oppressive world and agriculture is difficult and winters are getting longer and longer and there's snows and what have you. So the oppressive nature of the weather was an important part of the campaign setting. But I'm with you, Wayne. I don't think about it unless it is a really significant plot point. Okay, yeah. well, let's start there because the first model of weather or environmental effects that you have pitched is that they are something that is reflective of the events in the world or the actions of the party. So you see this, let's use video games, Ghost of Tsushima where it rains more black and white, whether it's night longer or day longer. You see it in books such as Chronicles of Narnia, where the whole world was trapped in winter because of the White Witch. So her creeping, growing evil or corruption of the world, it was creating this endless winter. And so you see this mechanism where the weather and the environment, they become sort of a tangible reminder or temperature taking of what the world's state is at this moment. And I realize magic or something divine creates the easiest opening for that. But I think you could also see it in something like sci-fi. If, for example, there's, let's say, War of the Worlds things where the aliens are trying to change the world's climate and environment. Or you could be in some place where maybe it's just a background effect. You're on a world that's in the middle stages of being terraformed. And so massive rainstorms come through and plant life is just starting to form and you're by this one drop pod that opens up and sets loose all the insect. But you have it reflective there of the plot or of the actions of the party from a standpoint of technology instead of a standpoint or a temperature taking of the weather as it simply is reflective of magic or their morality. Well, and that's one of the things I started thinking about was weather in different genres. So weather in the modern day, we've got technology to kind of get around things. We've got houses, a really bad winter. We can stay inside where it's warm. We are going to run into issues like it's harder to drive out. So you could make them roll at a disadvantage or roll something to drive that you wouldn't normally do. But then you get into like a fantasy world. A winter could destroy the crops you know, it could be something severely hindering people. In a modern world, you also look at different places in the world, somewhere like, say, Seattle, where it rains a lot. That's going to have an impact on the culture there. Right. And conversely, you can think about if I'm running a game in a place where it's always raining, the few times that it's sunny and I highlight 
the fact that it's sunny and that it's clear skies, I can really affect the mood of the game. Even if I'm not adding any mechanical element based on the weather, it really can inform the tone, I think. Oh, the, certainly tone. Yeah. And it's useful for tone and setting. I mean, it's a bit overused, but the whole it was a dark and stormy night thing. It's overused, it's cliche, but we understand nonetheless the value that it has in setting a mood and setting a tone. If I start off with it was a dark and stormy night, you have some ballpark of what kind of story you're about to get. I mean, heck, let's just even look at it just as a matter of setting immersion. Real life, it's one of the first things you notice when you walk outside, if not the first thing, the weather. Is it hot, cold, sunny, cloudy, raining, not raining, snowing? You can't help but notice it. You you step outside and it feels cold, it feels hot, it feels whatever. And yes, our technology does make it easier to cope. But if you're a person of either limited means or you're in an area that's underdeveloped or depending on what you're doing, for example, Wayne, you and I can work from home when it's snowing and there's ice out and it's unsafe to drive. What about the ambulance driver? Not only do they have to still drive that ambulance, they have to drive their car to get into work to drive the ambulance. And so for them, it's a very different world. Let's take this in a modern setting. Let's go with Shadowrun. If you're trying to run from Lone Star and it's raining or foggy or snowing or icing, this changes the dynamic of that run in a way that if it's just a generic kind of gloomy night or whatever, it's not going to have that effect. Well, and it also changes optics for the rigor. Right now, I know the technology is there, so you're going to have thermo and blah, 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 right? But it adds a lot of interesting elements that you as the game master can use to describe the situation. And it provides the players with an opportunity to not play got you, But to say, oh, well, that's an interesting challenge. Hey, I have this thing that overcomes it. Or, oh, that's an interesting thing that I hadn't considered. I have this other knack or trick to circumvent that issue, right? Well, and think about describing a stakeout. You're watching someone, whether it be a modern setting, wherever, in the middle of the summer where it's hot, you're going to be trying to stay out of the sun. You're going to try to stay cool versus in the winter where it's freezing you've got extra layers of clothes on and just minor things like that can really add to the description of the scene right rain's coming down in sheets you can't see a damn thing but your supervisor the lieutenant's a bloody idiot and insists that you go on the stakeout to try to do you know do surveillance on the perp and you just can't see crap right but then something happens you have to go outside the car but now all of your senses are utterly dulled right they're muffled by the rain you can't smell a darn thing your ability to hear is you know over distance is significantly reduced that's one of the things i loved about 3.5 is they actually had rules for over this distance you take x amount of penalty to your listen okay so let's talk about that let's make that our, our second point here I wonder if one of the reasons it doesn't come up more often is because when people run a game or play a game, they tend to look, as we've talked about in the past, at the buttons and levers that are on their character sheet or described in the rule book, and they say, this must be what the basic cycle of play is about. If it's d and 
I'm going to get my adventurers together. We're going to go out. We're going to have an adventure, fight some monsters, get our treasure, come back home. And then there's rules for the aftermath, hiring retainers and building buildings, whatever the heck you want to get into. Is one of the reasons this doesn't come up more often because of the fact that not a lot of game systems do anything with weather. You know, or if the game systems do, those aren't the rules that people have necessarily read. Yeah, it's obscure little rules that are over kind of on the side here, but they don't make a really big deal out of it. That if it's the desert in the middle of the noonday heat, you walking around in plate armor might start to affect you in this way. Now, I realize some games do have rules for this. D&D, I will give credit to, they have done a pretty good job of fairly consistently including weather rules or environmental effect rules. And I think they have to because so many spells create weather or environmental attributes. In fact, one of the things I've done is when I'm trying to reflect weather is if I can't find rules for it in D&D, I find a similar spell. So if they're like, in driving snow, okay, it's not going to do the same amount of damage, but I'm going to look at a spell like Sleet Storm for the basic framework of what should the effects be. You know, do they have to make a roll to fall in it? Fifth edition has what they call difficult terrain rules, where if you're in really bad weather or inclement weather, it's such an overused phrase, but if you're in inclement weather, that it changes the nature of the terrain, that which affects your overland travel, and I think might figure into your survival checks and things like that, and affects your movement on the combat map. One of the ones we were talking about, Dunner's Battletech, has environmental rules. I'll be honest, as of the current state of the rules, I don't know which book they're in. They have at times been in the main rule book, at times they've been in supplements. I don't know where they are located today. But I know that Battletech has environmental rules. So if you are in a planet that is Arctic, your heat dissipation has a different set of rules to it. Probably the height of that was when they did the stuff for Solaris 7, which is a competition game blood sport kind of world where they have all these big mech on mech fights and people get killed and it's craziness. They had really detailed rules for the environmental effects of different arenas because like one of them was a semi-functioning factory. And so there were like lifts moving and conveyor belts moving and they had oil slicks on the floor. And now that was a while back. I don't know if the rules are still that detailed, but I know they are still there. But returning to the original point, these are kind of the exception. Most games really don't deal with weather. Yeah, I got to think about things like tracking. So let's say you're trying to track someone through the woods. If it's raining, then you could say that the rain is washing away the tracks. But if it's muddy ground, then it's more likely to make tracks because you're leaving footprints in. Yeah. And for snow, if it's snowing, the snow can cover the tracks. But if it's already snowed and the snow has stopped, then you're leaving more tracks. Or do you get that weird blend like I see when my dog goes out to take a dump where it snowed and my dog obviously walked a path, but then it stopped snowing and then it snowed again and you get those really cool little recesses of foot. Because they'll say the snow is six inches of snow, but if a dog or a human being walked through there mid-snow, well, the snow all around it six inches deep. But the snow right where you stepped is 
three inches more shallow. Right. And there's the crunch of the snow. Uh, there's so many cool directions. Yeah. To go and I got to think about all the different things with driving. So let's say it's snowing out and you're in the middle of a scene in, say, a mall or something, and you have to rush after someone. You rush out and jump in the car, but it's been snowing the last two hours. Did you take time to clear off your front windshield? Did you take time to clear off your back windshield? Ever lived in the American Southwest? Forget dust the storms. snow. Oh, well, that too, that too. Yes, dust storms and dust devils and things like that. But you may get in the car and the steering wheel's too hot to touch. Yeah, I've had that here. <laughs> uh, and it happens all the time in the Southwest. You have to like Nevada or New Mexico or something. There are times that if you don't have gloves or like a handkerchief or something, if you don't let that AC run for a bit, you can't touch the steering wheel. Yeah, we're in a great place for adding weather into our games because here in the Midwest, we get it all. Yeah, we see all four seasons. Yeah, We get all the extremes of all the seasons. Right. Sometimes we'll have all four seasons in one month. Actually, you're not joking. Yes, that, that really has happened. I've seen it go from 80s or 90s to a snow day in the same month. It's disturbing. We saw it happen this month. Yeah, actually, it just kind of happened. But, yeah, it's such an omnipresent part of our life. It doesn't get reflected much in role-playing games. You know what it is? And I'm going to sound dumb, but whatever. I sound dumb all the time. It's because we're inside. Everything that we do in gaming, we're in a climate-controlled environment. We're comfortable, we have our drinks, we have our chairs, we have our snacks, we have our water, and we're in this comfortable, well-lit environment, and we don't think about it. And when we are talking about the things that we want to sort of escape and immerse ourselves into, weather's not something that I instinctively think about. I think about the emotion of the NPC. I think about the smell of the perfumes or the aromas in the air. I think about textures of clothing and that sort of stuff, but I never think about, is it overcast? Is it cool? Is it raining? Think about how cool it would be, though. You're describing the big fight between your fighter and this gladiator, and they're out in a field fighting. Okay, you can give all these really cool descriptions. Now think about that scene with it's pouring down raining, your gladiator takes its pose and its foot slides in the mud. Yeah. And all of these extra cool things you can add to the scene if it's raining and windy. Right? Yeah, like you yeah. can only move half speed. If you move full speed, you have to make a deck save or strength save. And if you fail it, you fall in your prone and lose your action. Right. And so many games have great mechanics that you can add on the fly to that stuff. Yeah. But again, it is an element that I rarely consider unless the element is a really, really important part of setting the scene for that particular scenario yeah. or situation. Well, and that's what I'm starting to think. What are those kind of things you could set up? Imagine you have an NPC that the players don't like, that you want them to interact with, but it's not quite to the point that they're ready to kill the NPC. Right. You can put them in a location where suddenly there's a storm. They have to take shelter with this person they don't like. Or this NPC you've wanted them to interact with that they just don't seem to interact with, trap them in a building. It's snowing outside. It's storming outside. There's a hurricane coming, and you've got to get cover. Yeah, it's the heart of winter, and a sniper is harassing them that they can't see because it's too heavily snowed outside. They're not even sure how the sniper sees them. Interesting plot point to develop. But in the meantime, 
they have to try and survive in this one cabin until the snowstorm passes so they can see the sniper to shoot him or get away safely. And you've got to survive two days with only what's on your person and what's in this cabin. And by the way, I'm starting a clock. You're going to start taking some kind of damage or penalty or disadvantage on your rolls or whatever your game system allows for. And the party you guys don't keep the temperature up, the food up, the... And the party you're competing with for your goal that this sniper is keeping you from, they're trapped in the building with you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. See, that? that's a great, that's yeah. a great story. They're not bad guys. They're not the enemy. They are your competition. Yeah. And now you've got the same threat outside and the same threat inside and the same finite resources you're fighting over. It's a fantastic story. Weather and environment make it possible. Forget weather. Let's do another environmental issues. What if there's a locust swarm going on? What if there's an earthquake going on? What if there's a volcano that's about to erupt? I mean, there's all these sorts of things that add tension, that add a sense of a countdown clock, you know, that the world around you is falling apart. Movies use this for cheap tension all the time. There's two people fighting on a plane, and that's not enough. So the plane is in the process of crashing. You know, or two people are fighting on a bridge, and that's not enough. So there's a tsunami coming. Or they're doing it in the middle of an earthquake, and the bridge is falling apart. Or a siege engine hit it, and so the bridge is collapsing. And yeah, Or maybe you need something, and there's a storm that's cut it off. Your truck didn't get here with your supplies. And now you've got to figure out what you're going to do for this next mission without your supply because the truck is on the other side of the bridge that flooded because it's flood season. Yeah, there you go. Go to Shadowrun. Your fixer cannot deliver your items. You have purchased them. They should be here. But because of flooding, they've had to close a bridge. Your fixer cannot get them to you unless you want to pay extra to have someone take a boat across torrential rivers or something. I've never thought about things like these until this week when I'm looking outside and thinking, man, it really sucks that they can't go outside right now. Do you went to the grocery store on Thursday, right? Once the roads were traversable in the afternoon, we got to Trader Joe's. They had nothing. I was so enamored with how empty the shelves were that I I literally took pictures of it. I was stunned. So I remember doing that right when the pandemic hit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'll take that back to Monday before the storm hit. I'm on a call with work people and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to cut out at like four so I can go to the store before the storm hits. My boss goes, no, clear your meetings. Go at 10. It's like, go out there now because if you wait until four, the stores are going to be insane and nothing's going to be there. And one of my, one of the guys I worked with was like, yeah, my wife was out last night. It was crazy. So I go to the store at 10. I'm watching the huge crowds as everyone's trying to get stuff. A guy walks out of the back with bread to go put on the shelves, and people are grabbing it out of his hands. Yeah, dude, it was crazy, man. So I was busy with work stuff. So I was working from home, but nonetheless, I was busy with work stuff. And I needed some things relatively quickly, mostly like it was actually dog food was the main thing. And so I did an Instacart thing. And the dude that was doing my Instacart shopping at two points He's like, okay, you want this item? I wasn't looking for anything weird. He's be like, here's what it is, because they can send pictures over the chat thing. What is it you want? Like one of them was, I was like, well, I've got some bagels, see if you get some cream cheese. He went back to the dairy aisle. There was like one of five different items, and that's it. The entire rest, like he took a picture. He's like, here's the dairy shelves. They were empty, except 
five items, one each of five items on one shelf is like, is there anything here you actually want? And actually there did happen to be by coincidence, one of the five things was something I wanted. So I'm like, yeah, grab that one. Yeah, and I don't and he know. did that on another aisle too. I don't remember what it was, but it was the same thing where there was nothing. It was like I post nuke shopping. Yeah, and this happens every time there is a predicted snowstorm here. It happens on the coast if there's a predicted hurricane. So this is something that you could easily add into your game yeah. of you need supplies, but you waited until the last minute and you know, you weren't watching the weather because you were planning your raid and now you get to the store and things are missing. Well, cultural reality here. Let's put aside politics. Okay. No political judgment here at all. Let's just describe a demonstrably true economic reality. The world's been a wee bit crazy the past few years in case you haven't noticed. You know, one of the hardest items right now in this country to get is a firearm and or ammunition. Okay, for people who are in Europe or Australia, this may be a bit befuddling to you. But these are normally relatively common items in the U.S. Well, what's the point in this? Well, it may not just be groceries. Let's say there's war coming to the lands, right? Winter is coming, the figurative one from George R. R. Martin. You go to the blacksmith to buy your sword. What makes you think he's got anything left to sell? What makes you think all the other people with a few coins haven't already been here and cleaned them out? of his two chainmail shirts and his couple of swords and the horseshoes and all he's got left is a few like little good luck charms right and, and sure he's, of, he's got a ton of money now but now he can't get iron or yeah. all the other yeah. accoutrement that he needs because, all the other well, elements because it's either been used up or the war front is inhibiting his ability to move right it. and if he has a sword left it's not going to be the normal price yeah, it's because gonna, he's not beholden to any sort of laws that's going through the roof. And so in something like Shadowrun, if there's a big war brewing between two of the megacorps, you think people aren't going to react to that, especially when the corporate people, I don't know where the rules are at now, but at least the editions I played, they had licenses where they could still legally buy firearms. They didn't have to go through a black market. And so they could still clean out the supply chain because, by the way, where most illegal guns come from, is they are stolen. Okay, for anyone who didn't know, it's a little bit of trivia. Most illegal guns are stolen from legal gun distribution chains. They're stolen from people's houses or from gun stores or from things like that. I realize it's different elsewhere in the world because there's a lot of firearm smuggling and such. But my point here being that you clean out the legitimate supply chain, that has a ripple effect to the black market. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you're going through a fixer and not a legitimate dealer, or you're going through your guy in the sewers as opposed to the blacksmith up in the main part of town, that may not help as much as you think it does. Or if it does, like Wayne said... Expect to see an opportunistic price markup. Yeah, and I just kept thinking more and more about everything I have happen in my game tends to be because of people or creatures or people. Not the things outside their control. Exactly. And I think you can have some of those stories that are man versus nature or man versus man because of nature. Yeah. So, I mean, what's the recommendation here? I think I've got two. The first one is if you need a way to add some significance to weather the environment, if the game system you're playing does not have rules for it, sit down and make up some simple ones. Don't make them complicated because they'll be too hard to balance. Just have something like for every hour, the temperature is not warm. Everybody here loses a box of health 
or everybody here gets another minus one penalty to certain attribute checks because of the cold or because of hunger or you have a penalty, whatever. Keep it simple. Don't overcomplicate it. Now, once again, D&D, Battletech, some games have rules for this. If they don't, make your own. Keep them simple. If you are not prepared to make your own, hit Google. I guarantee you either A, someone has made the rules, or B, there's an amateur game designer who would probably find it a fun distraction from work to spend 30 minutes bashing out weather rules for you, or earthquake rules, or volcano rules, or whatever it is you need. I think the second point that I would add is to remember the effect that weather and environment have on your daily life and just incorporate that even if it's purely in the description. Yeah, that's my big thing is I want my world to feel alive. And that means sometimes things happen that have nothing to do with the plot. For me, I want to start flavoring in things like having it rain or snow, even if I don't do anything mechanically with it. Adding those descriptions here and there, describing how you know you hear the rain on the roof or things, just is one more thing that can make my world feel more real. Well, and how does every Christmas episode of every flippin' TV show or Christmas in a movie, every you, you I don't even need to describe the snow. You all see it, yeah. Jeff, right? You see the lights. The store windows, right? You know what we're talking about. But if we're talking about a storm on, you know, some, uh, you know, northeastern Atlantic coast, you know what we mean. You know, a desolate, dry desert with the sun beating down and the cracking skin and the flaking of lips, right? Like it says so much to you in just a a few words. It also gives you a chance, I think, to draw out other features of the world. For example, let's go back to Shadowrun. Let's say it's foggy out. Well, okay, that could be you have decreased vision past a certain range, even your thermographic, because it does screw up your ability to see heat at very long ranges. So that's going to be dropped off as well. But there's other things you can talk about. You could say because of the fog, there's an accident at one of the street corners because two people couldn't see each other. There's Lone Star and an ambulance pulled up and the red and blue lights from their the lights on top of their vehicles is reflecting off of the fog, casting this alternating red and blue hue across the street you're walking on. That's one of the few light sources bright enough to overpower the neon lights vying for your usual attention or whatever. It gives you these opportunities to kind of upsell the setting a bit to describe features that otherwise wouldn't be noticed. Yeah, It's nice out. There's a lot of animals out. It's raining or snowing. And a lot of people. Yeah. Raining or snowing, you're not seeing as many people or animals. Even something as simple as that can add flavor to the world. Yeah. You can't commit a crime with no witnesses on a day where it's sunny and 70 degrees Fahrenheit. It just ain't going to happen. There are going to be so many freaking people around and out doing stuff. Anyway, I think that's where we're going to wrap this one up. Remember that Fear the Con sign up is still going on, fearthecon.com. I will put a link to that in the show notes. Not that it's hard to remember, but just in case you need it. Other than that, you guys have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. This has been a production of Fear the Booth, copyright 2022. 
Listeners are free to use this episode in a non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. If you wish to support this show and its related endeavors, you can do so at patreon.com slash feartheboot.